0: chapter 6. And children, you are dismissed to junior church. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. And uh, it's great to be here this morning. It's wonderful to be able to open the word of God, isn't it? It's good to be able to hear from the Lord and to uh, see what he has for each of us this morning. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 6. And if you remember... Last Sunday, we began looking at Mark chapter 6. We started that chapter and remember Jesus Christ, he returned to his hometown of Nazareth and uh, he was rejected by his own country. He was rejected by his own family. He even did many great signs and wonders there. He he taught with great wisdom and the people there even said, how did this man get such power? How did he get such great wisdom? And uh, he was still rejected by them. And he, the, the unbelief was so great that he barely healed anybody, most likely because very few people came to him to get healing. And, and the unbelief there was so great that the Bible tells us that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He, he just could not believe uh, how, how little faith that these people had. And we're going to pick up this morning uh, by looking at verse 7. So let's go ahead and look at verse 7 of Mark chapter 6. The Bible says, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place." And, whatsoever, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the freedom that you've given us here in this country to worship you, to pray, to sing praise unto your holy name. And Lord, I pray that this morning uh, you will just work in people's hearts. I pray that you'll work in the hearts of those that are believers, that we would be better ambassadors and representatives of Christ. I pray that you will help us to uh, be bold with the gospel, to proclaim the gospel with our lips and with our life. And I also pray that you will be with those that are lost this morning, that are in our presence, that have not trusted you as our personal Savior. I pray that today will be the day of salvation, that today will be the day that they know that they have eternal life and that they will fall on your grace. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for being a righteous and just and holy God. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just do that which only you can uh, this morning as the word of God is preached in your holy name. Amen. Well, you know, uh, from the birth of a, a child to young adulthood, the main job of a parent is to prepare their children for the life to come, right? You know, we're, it, the Bible talks about it. You, know, you, you prepare your children uh, how, on, on how to love God. You you teach your children the things of God. You're supposed to teach your children that God is a priority. You have to teach your children uh, manners, how to be kind, how to treat people, uh, how to behave. Uh, And there's a lot of preparation that goes into a child as a parent. And some of you here, you know that because you're doing it now. Uh, Some of you are here and you've done that before. Uh, And really for 18 years and sometimes more, there's a lot of mentoring and there's a lot of teaching and there's training that goes into a child. So that uh, one day, by God's grace, they can be sent off and they can succeed in this world and and to live a good and godly life. Uh, And and so it was with Christ and his disciples, what we see here this morning. For quite some time now, Jesus had been teaching and he had been training his disciples. He had been uh, teaching them through his words. Uh, as he spoke parables, they would come to him and say, Well, Jesus, I know you said this, but what did you mean? And, and Jesus would explain to them uh, what he meant. And he would be teaching him and training them through the ministry uh, of his his actions as well. Uh, they would see uh, him cast out demons and raise people from the dead and do incredible works. And in chapter 3 of this book, we know that he called these 12 men to be his disciples and since that moment they had been learning. They had been being taught by the master. And can you imagine that? Being taught by Jesus Christ himself. Can you imagine that? I mean this is a wonderful thing. Uh, and that's what was happening for quite some time now. But now in chapter 6 verse 7 to 13 the time had come for Jesus to send these disciples off to do his work for a short time. And, and ultimately down the road they would be completely without him physically, but we know that he said, I'm going to leave the comforter with you. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you, and he's going to give you the help that you need. I'm not going to be here with you physically, but I'll be here in spirit. So this was really kind of like a a test run for these disciples. The time had come for him to send them off for a time. And as he does this, he sends them with the power of God and very specific direction. So let's look at, Verse 7 again, the first point we see this morning is the commission. Look at verse 7. It says, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So Jesus, starting off here, he, he calls the disciples to himself, he brings them to him, and he gives them their divine commission. Again, Mark chapter 3, verse 14, When Christ ordained these twelve men, he did so that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And this is exactly what the disciples would do. And we're told here that uh, they were sent forth two by two, which as you know from Deuteronomy, that would serve as a legal requirement to authenticate the testimony of what the disciples were going to do while they were on this missions trip. And it tells us here that, that Christ sent them forth. well What does that mean? That simply means that they were sent as an ambassador on a commission to represent one person and to perform some great task. So, church, look, just like an ambassador of another country would go to another nation to accomplish some diplomatic task for a king or for a president, these disciples were representatives. They were ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and they were sent on a mission that was given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, just as these men were sent out as ambassadors for Christ. Just as these men were sent out as representatives for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are here this morning and you are saved, you need to know that you are His ambassador. You are His ambassador. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and see that. 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 20, look at verse 20, it says, Paul writes, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you notice did you notice that in verse 20 what it said? Paul said, "We are. We are ambassadors for Christ." He and I want you to notice here, he does not say we should be ambassadors for Christ. He does not say we can be if we feel like it. He does not say we can be unless we decide to opt out. He does not say that, you know, if you don't really feel like being an ambassador, then you can just kind of hide away in a corner. He does not say that we can be neutral. He says, we are. We are representatives for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. So listen, Christian, if you, as you go out in the world, and you live uh, your life, and you go to work, and you're around your unsaved co-workers, and as you venture out into the grocery store, And as you interact with those in the community and as you dwell in your home, you are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing your words and your actions, they either make Jesus Christ look great and look wonderful as he truly is, or they make him look bad, which he is not. Hey, you know what? Jesus Christ, he is perfect. He is good. He is holy. Does your life bring glory to God? Does it bring the the honor and the glory to Christ that He is worthy of? Or does our life bring Him and His name shame? Consider this morning when the lost look at you, what do they see? What do they see? Do they see somebody that's just like everybody else in the world? Do they see somebody that just, you know, loves to gossip about people just like an unsaved person? Do they see somebody that is selfish? They don't care about other people like a Christian's supposed to? What do they see when they see you? Do they see Jesus Christ? You know, a Christian's life is to be a window through which others can see Jesus. I mean, you look at verse twenty again in first second uh, Corinthians five. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be you reconciled to God. You know what that's saying? We are to beseech people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We're to give people the gospel. And we are to live our life as an ambassador. We're to live our life representing the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the words of the Puritan, Thomas Watson. He said, a Christian should be as a diamond that casts a sparkling luster of holiness in his life. Let us be so just in our dealings, so true in our promises, so devout in our worship, so unblameable in our lives, that we may be walking pictures of Jesus Christ. Man, think about that. That, This is really a sobering thought for all of us, I think. Christian, listen, are you a window through which others see Christ? Does your life cast a, a shine of holiness for the glory of God? Not for your self-righteousness. It's not so that you can feel good, but so that you can bring glory and honor to the Father. Amen. Is your life an accurate living picture of Jesus Christ? You now, I used to draw a lot when I was younger. And I remember I would have times where I'd look at a picture and I, uh, that I maybe found online, whether it was like a football on a field or maybe a lakeside view or a house, and I would, I would try to draw that which I saw. And at the end of it, I would compare the two pictures, and there were numerous amounts of times where I would look at those two pictures, the the one that I drew and the one that I was trying to copy, and I would be terribly disappointed at how, uh, unlike the original, my drawing looked. And Christian, this morning, as you examine your life, as you compare Christ with how you live, I want you to think about what parts of your life do not quite depict an accurate image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What what parts aren't quite where they should be? We are to be ambassadors for Christ. As the disciples they were sent out to be. And as they were sent out, though, we know from our text that Christ gave them great power. Amen. Let's go to Mark chapter six again and see that. Look at verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And look at the, the last part of verse 7. It says, as he sent them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Which means that they had power over demonic forces. And this power was delegated authority. This power was power that was not of themselves. It was given to them by God. Jesus gave them this power. You may say, well, why did he do this? Why did he give them power over demons? Well, simply to authenticate the message of the gospel. And with this power, with the power of God on their life, they were not being thrown out to the wolves, but rather they had the protective hand of God upon them. The the great shepherd was with them. The power of God was all over them, and the, the hand of God would be protecting them. And as they went out they they could know we're not doing it in our own power because, listen, if they had gone out in their own power without the power of God, it would have been an utter failure. And so it is for us, Christian. Listen, if you try to live your life without the power of God, you're going to be an utter failure in the Christian life. You're not going to have victory over sin. You need Christ. And I'd say also, as we witness, as we, we, we try to live for God, we need to do so with the power of God. We need to do it completely dependent on God. And the same God that was with these disciples on this commission, yeah, I want you to know it is the same God that's with us as we witness to the loss today. You understand that the last thing that Jesus said as he was ascending up into heaven after he resurrected, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And that he said that when he was giving them the Great Commission, when he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So Christ, he sent them on a commission. He sent them to reach others. He sent them to preach the gospel, to to heal people, to uh, have power over demonic forces. And next, as he prepares to send them on their way, we see the commands. Let's go back and look while you should be there already, Mark chapter 6. We see the commands. Before we look in this verse here, I want you to understand here, Jesus, he was going to tell these disciples what to do. And you know what? Jesus Christ, he is Lord. He is God. He created everything. He's given us everything that we have. He is Lord over all the universe. So he has every single right to tell the disciples what to do. He has every single right to give commands. And that's what he was doing with the disciples here. He gave them expectations. He gave them commands. And and his commands in several verses here can be broken up into three parts. And I want you to to listen to this. Because some of you need to hear these commands that he gives us. First, he tells his disciples, trust in me to provide for you. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. It says, And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. Jesus is in essence saying, as you go to these Jewish cities, you need to pack very light. You can bring a staff, which would be a walking stick. You could bring... A pair of sandals, and you could bring one coat, but he said, Do not bring a scrip, which is a bread bag. He said, Do not bring food, do not bring money, and again, bring one coat, don't bring two. And you may say, Well, that seems weird. Why would he say that? Well, I want you to know that two garments, it signified wealth in this culture. And he wanted the, the disciples to identify with the common people, he did not want them. To, to look like they were extravagant and uh you know they, they had a lot of stuff he he said, just bring one garment, but most importantly, he wanted his disciples to trust in him to provide, not depend on themselves, so he said don't bring money, don't bring food, leave your bread bag at home, just take the essentials.' And this church, this would grow the disciples' faith as they would be without food, and they would have to trust on God to give them food and to give them sustenance. And you know, just as God provided food for the, for the Israelites in the wilderness, and just as he provided food for Elijah, he would provide food for these disciples. Now, there's a great lesson in this for us as Christians. You know, it is Jesus Christ that gives us every spiritual provision. It is Jesus Christ that gives us continual spiritual nourishment. It is Christ that gives us spiritual guidance. It is Christ that gives us comfort and safety and security. So listen, you need to trust on Him only for fulfillment in your life. You need to trust on Him to fulfill your every spiritual need. And do not be dependent on yourselves. Do not be dependent on that which the world has. Be dependent on God and God only. You understand that the God that that we're here worshiping this morning, He is the same God that feeds animals. He's the same God that waters the grass and waters the flowers. He's the same God that sustains all of creation, including us, because He is the giver of life and breath. You understand? You're living and breathing this morning because God has allowed it. We can trust Him. We can trust Him to provide. And that's what Christ commanded His disciples. He said, trust me to provide. But secondly, he commanded them to be content with whatever it was that they were given. Look at verse 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into in house, there abide till ye depart from that place. So what this is saying is when the the disciples, when they found a home that would welcome them in, in this area, in this city, when they found a place that welcomed them, they were to stay in that one place until they left that city. They were not to go to a house, have a meal, look around, see if it was nice enough, see if it met up with their standards, and then if it didn't, go on somewhere else. No, no, wherever they found a welcoming place, that's where they were to stay. They were to be content with the provisions and the shelter that was given to them. And you know, as these disciples, as they were to represent Christ, being content with whatever they had been given would serve as a wonderful testimony to the community. You think about how, the fact that if they were thankful for whatever, they could just lay their head down and sleep. Whatever uh, meal they had, that would show those around them that they were going to be preaching the gospel to, that they were not in it for the comfort. They were not in it for the money. They were not in it for themselves, but they were in it for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And these disciples, they were to live their life in this ministry without being covetous or greedy. And they were to live their life in contentment because God was going to be with them and he would provide for them. And Christian, listen, this morning, today we too are to be content with whatever Christ has given us. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. You know this passage. Hebrews chapter 13. And look at verse 5. I think this verse would serve every American very well to read it and to try to live by it. Look what verse 5 says in Hebrews 13. Let your conversation or your life be without covetousness. And it's speaking specifically of a love of money. But look what else it says. And be Content with such things as ye have. And then I love this. Look what he says. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look, our life must be a life that's lived with contentment. You think about Paul when he said that in Philippians that I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You think of what he said to Timothy when he said that if we have food and raiment, then we can be content. In other words, as long as we have the basic necessities of life, we can be happy. We can have joy. We can be thankful. And you may say, well, how? How can I be if I just have the basics? Well, as the writer of Hebrews says, we can be grateful. We can be content with that which we have because Jesus Christ has said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. So think about that. This morning, the disciples, they could have peace knowing that God was with them. Even if they just had a little bit of bread and a little bit of water, right, Alan, like you offered on Saturday. Even if that's all that they had to eat, they could be content because God was with them. They could have contentment knowing this. And Christian, consider this morning, are you content with God? You may say, well, you know, I don't, I don't have much. I have a job. I'm barely scraping by. Hey, but you have God. Are you content with God? Uh, is his presence and his guidance in your life enough to bring you satisfaction day in and day out? Christian, do you, do you rejoice in what you have in Christ? You understand that? The, the poor in this world, the, the, the poorest people in this world, they would love to have what a poor person in America has. And then you just put on top of that the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, that we don't deserve. We can rejoice in what we have in Christ, because what we have in Christ is far greater than all physical things. You know why? Because what we have in Christ, it lasts for eternity. And nothing can take it away. I like the words of Paul Washer as he said, everything that you can see will one day die and rot. Every title that you can earn will one day be lost. Every glory received from men will one day turn to nothing. So live for that which is eternal. Live for, that which the, live for the one which died for you. And I'd add to that, may we be content with the one that has died for us. For in him we have everything. So he told the disciples, be content with what you have. And lastly, let's go back to Mark 6. Go back to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 11. Lastly, we see the last command is if people reject the message, just move on. Look at verse 11. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Jesus told the disciples, look, whenever you go to a village or you go to a city, and they do not receive you, they do not receive your message, just depart from them. And when you depart from them, shake off the dust from underneath your feet for a testimony against them. I'm going to go into a little more detail about what that means in a moment. But uh, in Matthew's account of this, he gives us more details as to where the disciples were going. And this would really highlight some more meaningful uh, things as to what Jesus was telling them to do here. So let's go to Matthew chapter 10 and see that. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse 5. Matthew 10 verse 5. It says... In verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here's the thing. The focus, Jesus said here, was the Israelites. It was the the lost sheep of Israel. He wanted the disciples at this time to avoid the pagan Gentiles uh, and the pagan cities and instead focus on God's chosen people. Now, we know that Jesus had many times been preaching in Gentile cities such as Gadara, but now he wanted his disciples to just focus on the Jews. And he said, if they reject you, then shake off the dust from underneath your feet as a testimony against them. And this act is very significant when you keep this uh, where they were going in mind, okay? This was a a Jewish symbolic sign of extreme uh, contempt for one another for the refusal to have any further intercourse or conversations with them. So here's the thing. Jews would often do this to Gentiles in order to just kind of wash their hands of a situation or uh, to just let it go. They would often do this to the Gentiles, but Jews would not do this to other Jews. So Jesus, when he said, as you go to these Jewish cities and if they reject the message, you just shake off the dust from underneath your feet, uh, this really was a new concept. So as they went to these cities and and people rejected them, this was the disciples' way of saying, so be it. It was the disciples' way of just washing their hands of a situation and moving on to the next city. And the fact of the matter is, not everybody would receive Jesus Christ with open arms, in case you haven't gathered that already. And we already know that the religious establishment hates him. They're already planning and plotting to kill Christ. We know that Jesus' hometown rejected him. And listen, church, people are not always thrilled to hear about Jesus Christ. They're not always thrilled to hear the gospel. And we know that's true even in our day today. Many people, they reject the truth of Christ. But I want you to think about something for a moment, church. Listen, consider the fact that these men that Jesus sent out, they had the power of God to do incredible things. They'd be able to heal. They would be able to cast out demons. And yet Christ still said, Even though you have that power, there are still going to be people that will reject the message of of the gospel. They're still going to reject me. And listen, church, there's a great lesson in this for us. And I want you to hear this. You have to understand this. The reception of the gospel is not up to us. It's up to God. We, as Christians, need to proclaim the gospel to the lost. We need to be ambassadors for Christ. We need to try to accurately uh, show the world what Christ did for us and, and live as Christ lived. But listen, it is up to God to draw men to saving faith. And it is up to the hearers to trust in Christ. We cannot make people do anything. It is up to God to open up blind eyes. It is up to God to set the captives free. It is up to God to help them see the light of Christ. It is a work of God, not a work of men. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Look at what Jesus said in verse 44. John chapter 6 verse 44. It says, Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. You know, if the disciples, as they went out to these Jewish cities, if they were like a lot of us, and by the way, including myself at times, as people rejected the message, they, they maybe would say, man, what is wrong with me? What did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? I gave the gospel to my friend. I told my family about Christ. I preached the gospel faithfully. I helped with Vacation Bible School. I taught and poured my heart out to those kids. I gave out a bunch of tracts this week. I I witnessed to my co-workers and and I tried to be a good gospel witness and nobody trusted Christ, they all rejected it. What is wrong with me? And I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I think that myself. But understand, this must not be our mindset in the slightest because to do that is to give credit where credit is not due. The the success of the gospel does not depend on you. The success of the gospel does not depend on our excellency of speech. It does not depend on our wisdom. It does not depend on our enticing words, but rather it depends on the power of God, which is Christ crucified. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Look at verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Hey, Christian, understand, That God is the one that draws. God is the one that calls. God is the one that prepares the heart. And He is the one that saves. And as Christians, we are simply instruments that are to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We are only weak vessels. And let me say that again we are only weak vessels that God uses to bring the message of the gospel to lost souls. We are only weak and frail and sinful men and women that has been, that have been saved by the grace of God, that he uses to sound the horn of the gospel to the lost. So church, keep this in mind as you pray and you witness to the lost. Keep this in mind As you proclaim the gospel to your co-workers or you you try to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ to your family. Keep this in mind as you give a a tract to a stranger or you partake in, in some ministry in our community where you're giving families and children the gospel. Keep in mind that you must do so with the word of God. You must be dependent on the power of God and then you need to step back and let God do the rest because it does not depend on you. To think otherwise is to be prideful. We cannot be so prideful to think that the success of the gospel is dependent on our words and our wisdom and our ability, but rather know it is totally dependent on the power of God. And when, when a city rejected Christ's message here in Mark chapter 6, the disciples, they were not to leave the city upset. They were not to leave the, the city all moping and sad and thinking, man, what is wrong with me? They were just to shake the dust off their feet and move on. They were to do their part, which was to proclaim the gospel. And listen to this closely. Then their trip would be viewed as a success. I want you to know this morning, church, that whenever the gospel is given, whenever Jesus Christ is preached, whenever Christ is glorified in a church service, whenever he is magnified and whenever sinners are called on Christ and called to trust Jesus Christ, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in a church service or in our life, it is a great success regardless of the response because those that are doing so are being obedient to God. Did you know that? So anytime you give the gospel to somebody, You just give it to them and you leave it in God's hands and you can know it was a success. Hey, you know what? Vacation Bible school that we had over four days, that was a success. Because the gospel was preached. Christ was presented. It was a success. Whenever we go out door to door on Thursdays or Saturdays and people get the gospel in their hands, it is a success. No matter what happens, it's a success. And the shaking of the dust off these disciples' feet It would signify the city's rejection, and it would serve as a testimony against them and not the disciples. The rejection was a testimony against the recipients, not the messenger. And in fact, this rejection was so serious that Christ said that those that reject the gracious gift of the gospel, they would face a fate that was far worse than the pagans that were killed in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at Mark chapter 6 again. Look at verse 11. This is the last verse we're going to get to. Look at verse 11. It says in verse 11 of Mark chapter 6, And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart, then shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. And then look what he says. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that City, man, listen. Woe to those that reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis nineteen tells us that the Lord reigned upon Sodom and Gomorrah, a brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and this—that was really a physical judgment. And really, this uh, this judgment would be worse in part because these disciples were disciples of Jesus Christ Himself. They were testifying of God in the flesh, uh, but it also. Uh, would be uh, a greater, uh, greater punishment for those that heard than those that saw them Gomorrah because, again, this was a physical punishment that the, the Sodomites went through. Uh, and re- the rejection of Jesus Christ would have a far more terrible end because this would be an eternal punishment and a spiritual punishment. Listen, those uh, that reject Christ, they will face eternal separation from God, they will not know God. Those that reject Christ, they will suffer in hell. They will be in a place where God is not present. And man, listen, I don't want to be anywhere where God is not present. And hell is a place where the wrath of God is poured out. It's where souls are alienated from God's love and His mercy and His grace because they rejected it time and time again here on earth. Now some people here, and I've I've heard lost people say this, why would a loving God... Send somebody to hell. Well, I want to answer that question for you. Listen close. For one, in God's love and grace, He has provided a way to escape it in Jesus Christ. So therefore, if you decide to reject Christ, He's not sending you there. If you reject Christ, you're sending yourself there. But secondly, and I think this is really important, the better question would not be why uh, would uh, a so-called loving God send anybody to hell? The better question would be this. Why on earth would a holy and perfect God want anything to do with a sinner like me? Why would a holy and, and righteous and, and perfect God want anything to do with somebody as wicked and as vile as me? You understand we deserved nothing good. We, we've done nothing to deserve the, the precious gift of grace that's extended to us in Jesus Christ. The very best that we deserve is hell. And you understand, God could have chosen to never send Christ to redeem us, and he would have been perfectly justified in doing so, because we don't deserve any good thing. And yet, in his love and in his mercy, he's extending us this gift of salvation. And he's calling you this morning, to trust on him. In the love of God, he is calling you to trust on Christ, to bring you forgiveness from sin and redemption that we were singing about earlier. Jesus Christ, he is the one that brings us to God. We know because of our wicked and sinful state that our sin has demanded a penalty and that penalty was death. It tells us that the wages of sin is death in the book of Romans. However, Jesus Christ, he shed his blood He died on a cross. He went through terrible things for you so that you could be saved. And he was buried in a tomb for three days and he rose again. Thank God he rose again. And as he arose, he defeated the power of darkness and he defeated the power of sin. So listen, lost soul, today. Trust on him. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. No longer... Pursue sin because there's no joy. There is only emptiness in it. My soul, consider this morning, is God drawing you to Himself? If He is, won't you run to Christ? Won't you fall in His grace and find the fullness of joy today? Won't you trust on Him today? There is no other way to God. Listen, there's no other way to God There's no other door. There's no other priest. There's no other mediator. There's no other justifier. There's no other gate. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other light. There's no other bridge to God. There's no other gospel. There's only Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says. So trust on Christ. Stop trusting in your works. Stop trusting in all the good things you can do because it is, as Isaiah says, as filthy rags. Trust on the Lord Amen. Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Christian, as Christ called on his disciples to trust in him to provide, I call on you today to trust him to meet every need. As he called on his disciples to be content with what they were given, I call you to be content with Jesus Christ. Amen. As Christ called His disciples to be His representatives, I call you and I to live holy lives that accurately picture Jesus Christ and point other people to Him. God calls each of us to live holy lives. And I know that's not popular, but that's biblical. Amen. We are called by God to forsake sin. We are called by God to be separate from the world. We are called by God to be distinct. He, he calls us to bring honor And glory to Him. He calls us to be His ambassadors. And we do this by continually being conformed. To the image of Jesus Christ. So this morning consider. What must you allow Christ to change in your heart. And in your life. So that you can more accurately picture. Jesus Christ to this lost world. What must you change? What must you allow God to change about your life. To bring more glory to His name? What part of your life is stopping you from being a window through which others see the beauty and the glory and the holiness of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. May we represent Christ well. As we go out in the world, may we be good ambassadors for him. May we proclaim the gospel to the lost with our lips and with our lives. And may we just let God do the rest. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.